I know, I look vaguely familiar. Yes. You feel you've seen me somewhere before? Mm-hmm. Funny how I have that effect on people. It's something about my face. It's a nice face. You think so? I wouldn't say it if I didn't. Oh, you're that type. What type? Honest. Not really. Good, because all these women frighten me. Why? I don't know. Somehow they seem to put me at a disadvantage. Because you're not honest with them? Exactly. Like that business about the seven parking tickets? What I mean is, the moment I meet an attractive woman, I have to start pretending I've no desire to make love to her. What makes you think you have to conceal it? She might find the idea objectionable. Then again, she might not. Think how lucky I am to have been seated here. Well, luck had nothing to do with it. Fate? I tipped the steward five dollars to seat you here if you should come in. Hello again and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And, you know, we're at a kind of a quasi-seminal point in our podcast. This is uh, our 30th episode. Yeah. Hot damn. Excited about that. We're, uh, we're still going, still doing it. Yeah. We've Despite, got a, we've got a little mascot along we, for this one. We do. We have a, a Funko little uh, figure of Alfred Hitchcock, who is going to give us some good luck today when we talk about our our, our main film of, of of discussion, which I can't wait to get to. Um, he is looking as as meek as ever, holding a, the uh, holding a little clapboard. Yep, yep. Um, a shout out for a local company, you know, Funko based in Everett. Oh, is it? Yeah, they make cool shit, man. You should go check. You should go uh, check out there. They've got a huge store up there. I'll have to. Which is just a giant playground. Oh, up there on Wetmore. Yeah, my mom works. Used to work right, right on. Why Wetmore? That's funny. Oh my god, we are already totally off the rails, and I can't wait. So great to start this way. I rhymed a little bit there, Ian. (laughs) What is your recommendation this week, my Uh, friend? My recommendation is I think I did an HBO movie last week. Uh, I've got another one this week again because I'm trying to get my money's worth. Damn out right. Of that, out of that company. Damn right. Um, we've got My Dinner with Hervé. Okay. About uh, the uh, the little actor, Herve Villachase, who was uh, very famous for being in the uh, the James Bond film Man with Golden Gun as okay. Knickknack, uh, right. Christopher Lee's little sidekick. Um, I don't even mean to use the word little diminutively. I was just, you know, off the cuff. He's just his little sidekick. Um <laughs> And then he's also very famous for being in uh, Fantasy Island with uh, Ricardo Montalban, also known as Khan. I'm not going to do my William Shatner Khan, but... That's know, fine. Yeah, I've, I, I, nobody needs that. No. Uh, anyway, so My Dinner with Hervé is about um, sort of the la- one of the last nights of his life. There is a uh, reporter who has been sent from London to Los Angeles to uh he's there for, he's dual purpose kind of thing he's there one to do a small little piece on Hervé and you know where he's at in his life and why it all went wrong for him just a quick little puff piece because it's like the anniversary of the James Bond film and so it's kind of where are they now kind okay of thing uh but the real reason he's there is to interview Gore Vidal and that doesn't really happen because 
Hervé sort of derails the entire thing and, and hijacks his whole purpose for being there in in L.A. And you just they, they spend the evening together talking and reminiscing and kind of having a go at each other. This journalist is kind of at a lull in his life. Uh, things have gone just about as badly wrong for him as they can go. And he has been given like kind of one final chance, like don't mess this interview up with Gore Vidal, Otherwise, it's going to be your head on the chopping block. Okay. And of course, as I say, Hervé completely derails all of that. Um, the actor playing the journalist, um, I am blanking on his name because I just don't care enough about those goddamn Fifty Shades movie. It's him, whoever that guy is. Oh. I was going to say Charlie Hunnam, but he was the original choice that that sort of... Keep you, talking. I'll look it up, but I also that, don't give a you shit. Know, they t- we talk about now there are series and, and films and things like that that have toxic fan bases, such as Rick and Morty Jamie or Star Dornan. Wars. Jamie Dornan. Jamie Dornan, thank you so much. But I feel like that was kind of a another example of a toxic fan base, you know, shooting down the original lead. There would have been nothing wrong with Charlie Hunnan. He's a great actor. Sure. I don't know why they went Jamie Dornan instead, because if uh, my dinner with Hervé proves anything, he's just a really, really shit Colin Farrell. Because <laughs> I'm sitting there watching this movie, and it has nothing to do with the fact that Colin Farrell was in uh, in Bruges and makes all those references to, to little people killing themselves, and he talks about Herv- Hervé Villachez being one of them. He did oh, actually kill yes. himself. Yes, okay. But I'm, just, I'm watching this thing going, my God, this could have benefited with somebody of a... a a Colin Farrell type. Sure. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, the the star of the show is Peter Dinklage. His Hervé is, I mean, he doesn't totally look like him. Like they manipulate him a little bit with like the haircut and things like that. And sure. he is a good few inches taller than the real Hervé was. But his voice, it is uncanny. You close your eyes and you are listening to Hervé. It is a true... I'm not going to call it uh, as transformative as a performance as we've seen from somebody like De Niro doing Jake LaMotta or even more recently Rami doing uh, Freddy. Fuck you. I, I don't care, man. Whatever. I do not care. Fine. He absolutely deserved that. No, he didn't. Yes, he fucking No, he didn't. What? You give it to, to Cooper. It's, an, it's a fine enough performance. Sure. He, he actually created a character and the four other guys nominated didn't, but that's fine too. We, Continue. What? Oh, oh, Rami, wait, oh, Rami didn't Freddy, create a character. He, no, he didn't. He played a person who actually lived and existed, and there's plenty of footage of. So anybody who plays a real person shouldn't. They shouldn't win an Oscar based on how well they can be somebody. I do. I have a whole. The, it's not just mimicry, though. Is that is that your sure. argument that all he did, he's just a mimic? Uh, him. And almost anybody else who wins an Oscar for playing somebody that actually existed, that's pretty much what they're doing. So Sean Penn didn't deserve his one for milk? No. I, I agree with you, but not for those reasons. Well, fine. <laughs> anyway, uh, as I was saying, Hervé, excuse me, Peter Dinklage, his yeah. Hervé is, is wonderful and is worth the price of admission alone. I mean, it's not a spectacular film. I, do, I wouldn't even go so far as to say it's a very memorable film, but it is a very memorable performance. Oh, great. Okay. A sort of okay. la- it's, a, it's a performance that elevates an otherwise sort of forgettable movie. And you also have, as Ricardo Montalban, it kind of took me a second because they did actually manipulate his hair a lot and his face a little bit to make him look more like Ricardo Montalban. But you have Andy Garcia, who's oh, an actor that I've been that in love with. so much sense. I, well, I've been in love with him ever since I saw The Untouchables and that fresh-faced punk sparring with, with Sean you Connery. stinking Irish shit pig. Yeah. That's a great line. It is fantastic. Yeah. 
Uh, anyway, that's my recommendation is my dinner with Hervé. Like I said, a little bit of a lackluster feature, but worth, the, as I say, the price of admission for Peter Dinklage. Cool. And I know this was a huge passion project for him. He's wanted to play this character for years, and he, he nails it. Makes sense. Yeah, I get that. I really hope that there is some, uh, some attention come Emmy or, or Globe time. I, I, yeah, I'd love that. Yeah. yeah, he's great. I love Peter Dinklage. Yeah. Um, so my recommendation, I wanted to watch uh, either like a scary movie or a thriller, just sort of in, in, in honor of the film that we're going to talk about today, even though it's definitely more on the thriller side and definitely not on the on the horror side. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so but we were, you know, my wife and I were trying to decide something to watch and through some kind of weird process of elimination uh, with stuff that was on Prime, we narrowed it down to two movies and legit just flipped a coin. And we ended up watching a movie that I was almost positive was in the book. And it's not in its current form, but I think it was at some point. And so we watched, for the first time, Jacob's Ladder, mm. which we had never seen before. I believe Jacob's, Jacob's Ladder, I'm almost certain, is in that second revision, the first that's, version that I bought. And that's and I, because I feel like I remember seeing the, I, the picture I think, I, think I watched Jacob's Ladder because it was in the book. Yeah, but it is it is not in its current form in the oh, book. Oh, it's a shame. That because is... the only Adrian Lynn film in the book is uh, Fatal Attraction. Eh. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that that's that's what it well, is. Well, I, I, I'm saying, but that's my general sort of reaction to Fatal Attraction. Oh, I like just, that movie. Is, I, I like that movie a lot, actually. I do. But anyways, um, so well, you're just a you're a Glenn Close fanboy. I am, I am, for reasons that I got to meet her and work with her, and she's a great, lovely person. Well, well, um, we shall we? I'll reignite the Academy Award actor fire. How do you feel about? Um, here here's what I'll say, because that was her seventh time. Yes, being it was her seventh and time, still and she still no didn't win. win. Here's here's what I'll say. A lot of people shat on the wife. I liked it. I didn't love it. I thought she was good in it. I ultimately thought it was a kind of a weak year for best actress. Um I don't know who I, I don't know who I really, really liked. Um I actually probably honestly might have given it to Melissa McCarthy. I really liked her and can you ever forgive me? Mm-hmm. Um I thought Olivia Coleman winning. That made me sincerely happy. Oh me too. Me too. And her speech that's I've actually rewatched it. Oh, so have I. I've it's watched it a couple so times. It's one of the all it, I think it's gonna go down as one of the all time great big acceptance oh, oh, speeches yes yes i agree i agree um wow tangent jacob's ladder we watched jacob's ladder and i had kind of heard a little bit about the the twist uh before seeing it but i'd never seen it. i never really knew what it was about um and so uh it's a haunting film oh it, it's got some deeply disturbing yeah. images in it, it. it it's I mean, Tim Robbins is just—he's great, mind-blowingly yeah. good in it. Um, so, it, so yeah, we basically so Jacob is played by um, Tim Robbins, and we start off in Nam, and uh, quite a quite a cast of characters. Ving Ving Rames is in it. Oh, that's right. Um, the guy who uh, the guy who always plays the guy with crazy eyes in Constantine and in Identity. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Kind of yeah. the bigger guy. He, he's always his eyes are always like yeah all he, over he's the place. Got like a uh, like a. Some something wrong with his eye. There's yeah. some sort of twitchy eye. Yes. Yeah. Um. He's in it, and, and uh. Anyways, he's very young in that too. Oh yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. he's got hair still. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so they're in Nam, and it's it's uh, basically their their little base is about to get under attack, and everybody's kind of in chaos, and a lot of people are, like throwing up, and there's a lot of weird psychedelic stuff, and people are getting sick, and and Tim Robbins kind of gets separated, and he gets he gets stabbed by a bayonet, and um. 
when that happens, he he wakes up. And it's that that's like great hard cuts of yeah. him in the subway. Yes, if I remember on the subway right. car. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you realize, or what you come to believe is that it's it's years later, and um, he's he's it's he's he's out of Nam, and um, he's divorced or separated, uh, and he's living with a girlfriend, and he's a postman, and he's just kind of a normal guy. He's just kind of a awkward, gangly dude, very kind of meek. He's not really outspoken. Well, it's, it's the type of role that Tim Robbins oh, has made yeah. a wonderful career yeah. out of play. Um, and this is a better performance it really than Shawshank, is. And, uh, hands, hands down. But he, from the from the moment he wakes up on the subway car, he starts to see things that are kind of disturbing. People with tails, faces that are distorted. And he tries telling his girlfriend, um, who is, um, I don't want to look it up, uh, but she's the voice... She's one of the voices in The Incredibles, and she's also in Oh, is Holly, Holly Hunter. No, no, no. no. <sighs> I know. It's been so long since I've seen it. Damn it. Anyway, I think you're going to have to look it up. Um, And she plays his girlfriend, and she's supportive, but he's also, he, you know, he's saying some really crazy things, and he's doing some really abnormal, I, I, he's missing work, and he's he's starting to see you know say things that he, he's seeing that he doesn't. And then there's a weird moment where he gets a really high fever and they try to, they try to calm him down. And all that of a sudden now he's a, back with his wife. That is a great scene. Sorry. To, yes, to, it to is. Rally it, there. The, it I, is. I put it up there. I mean, I don't think it's as good. We talked about the abyss recently, but the resuscitation scene, that scene where they're trying to break his fever, yeah. I would, I would it's throw good. it in the same breath as that. Yeah. And then, so he, and now all, of a sudden, now all of a sudden he's back with his wife and his kids. But then we realize that that is only a, a dream or, or a fantasy because he wakes up from the from the fever and then there's this trail of whether or not um, him and his Vietnam um, uh, troops, his fellow troops, were, were tested on and given psychedelic drugs or whatever. And the movie's old, and I so I, I want to give away the twist, but I'm not going to. Well, it's, it's not that old, 91. Well, sure, but I, I you know, I... I could easily tell you what the twist is, but I'm not going to. But anyways, needless to say that uh, Tim Robbins is trying to find out what happened to him, and the end result is, you can say part it's, it's partly a cop out, but also I think it's really unique and fun. Um, and it is it's a it's a trippy movie with some really disturbing images in it. It's not one that I recommend lightly, but I do think the quality is there. And again, it's on Prime, so if you have a Prime membership, you should watch it. And it definitely it definitely was once in the book. So well, you you bring it up gives me the opportunity to plug one of two things is that it reinforces what a great sort of mentor Ridley Scott was to so many people because Adrian Lin was it came out of his sort of uh his company of making commercials and things like that oh so i don't think I knew that yeah adrian okay. lynn. so ridley scott was a, a huge mentor to nice. adrian lynn part of the reason why he you know decided to go off and start directing films himself because he was tired of watching all his understudies go off and make films before him yeah and yeah. then uh i i would really love to see somebody like criterion get their hands on jacob's ladder because it, it is in desperate need of a restoration at least when i saw it on the the dvd copy you could tell was you know several generations I, I don't know what it looks like on Prime. It was well. It was. It looked pretty good. Yeah. It was. I mean, it was HD. Yeah. It was. It was definitely HD quality. It lo- okay. actually no. It did look. It looked really good. It looked good. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. don't know if there's been some sort of anniversary or some kind of restoration, but I think. Uh, yeah, I, I can't attest to that. But I, I, I think there's a case for seeing as though Criterion is starting to to delve into some of those recesses and those slightly more off the beaten path. It's still fairly mainstream, but you know, 
almost alternative mainstream films such as Blue Velvet is coming to yeah. the Criterion yes, Collection very soon. I'm yep. very excited about that. So mm-hmm. I, for me, that makes the case to include things like Jacob's Ladder. Yeah, I would agree. And it's and you know and it's it's a it's a nice thriller scary movie. I mean, it's good. It, the quality's there. Tim Robbins is great in it. Um, yeah, I, I do recommend it. Definitely recommend it. Um, but oh, let's get to the movie that we're talking about today. Yeah, um, this is this is the longest bout of uh, recommendation talk we've had. So um, we are talking again. We we because we mentioned earlier. I think it was was it on? John John Ford was our first double dip as yeah, far which as directors is so go. unfortunate because yeah. the quiet man was such a pile of shit yeah it really was i think i'm gonna keep bringing that up yeah how how awful that movie was yeah and so we talked about wanting to intentionally do uh, hitchcock again and i had mentioned because we were both surprised that hitchcock wasn't our first double down yes we were i was so many and um i had mentioned that i i was vague i was like oh i just watched hitchcock for the first time and then eventually it came out that it was north by northwest and it makes sense because it is the 60th anniversary of North by Northwest. Hot damn. Yeah. So all these great things collided. And so we are going to talk about uh, this wonderful, wonderful Hitchcock film, um, North by Northwest, which was right um, in the middle of his run of three. The run of three. Probably the, the greatest run, of, run three of three in film history. And now that I've seen, this is the one I hadn't seen of, of the three. Also, oh, now oh, you fully. Think, yeah. yeah. Seen it. Which is also why at the end of the episode, we're going to give you our top five Hitchcock films um, because this one, this one cracked mine. Because uh, I hadn't seen it, so now it is definitely Excellent. up there. Um, so a little bit about the movie. Um, it was written by Ernest Lehman, who we've talked about once. Yeah, he wrote or he adapted rather West Side Story yes, for the did. screen, and then he would also, uh, I mean, Hitch it towards the end of his life was making kind of lackluster films. He was not the auteur he once was, so he reunited with with Lehman for his last film, Family Plot. Which I, have you seen Family Plot? I have seen Family Plot. It, it was it a good one to go out on. No, no, no. That's a shame. Yeah, it's it is too bad. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be better than Topaz though, because I heard Topaz is 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 that the one with uh, Connery or is that no. Paul Newman? Uh, Newman. Okay, no, that Topaz is okay. The one I didn't like was his blatant comedy. The one with the the tr- the trouble with Harry. I didn't mm. like the trouble with Harry. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I clearly didn't get that movie. Anyways, though, um, this film features uh uh Hitchcock regular Cary Grant. Uh, playing Roger Thornhill, which is one of the best character names ever. Well, it's, it's Roger, Roger Thorn- O. Thornhill. Oh, yeah. The O means... And the, and the O means nothing, yeah. which is a great little dig at uh, David O'Sells, Nick. Yep, yep. yep. Um, Eva, Eva St. Marie. Uh, oh, oh, my God. Oh. Eva Marie Saint. Jesus, wow. what am I doing? I want to make her last name like mine, I think is what it is. Yeah. Eva Marie Saint plays uh, Eve Kendall. James Mason plays Van Damme. Oh, I do love me some James Mason. He is great in it. Um, Jesse Royce Landis plays Clara Thornhill, Roger's mom. Fun fact about that, she's only... Only seven years older than um, than Cary Grant, and I it's think very clear when you watch it. Sorry, what was it? Well, I think that that beats the the Connery uh, Harrison Ford age gap, doesn't it? Because they were only nine. I think they're nine years apart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah, and it just and she doesn't even look. I just it was weird. No, I she doesn't. I don't like all. it at all. No. That, that honestly. I would. I can think. I can say safely. That's the one part of the movie I didn't like. I didn't like how close to age they were. Um, Somebody we've talked about before, Leo G. G. Carroll. Yep, pops up as the professor. We talked about him a lot in Strangers on a Train. Yeah, we did. Um, and the only other one I wrote down was Martin Landau. Oh, Landau is so good in as this. Leonard. Oh, he is just who after the research. I appreciate this role a lot more now. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it was. I were you going to mention that uh, Lando? felt like he wasn't receiving enough attention from Hitchcock. No, I was going to mention the the thing that the way that he played him. Oh, uh, how's that? Oh, we want oh, to get into it now? Yeah, well, we're talking um, about this is a good place so, to talk about So Martin Landau intentionally played um, 
Leonard gay. Now it's not it's not it's not obvious on the oh. surface, but he he in later interviews said that he played it like he he was in love with Van Damme and that it was always oh, so many puzzle pieces have just fallen into place. Yeah. The yeah. way that he like it's not just that he's trying to rat out um Eve, it's that he like he cares. Like he yeah. truly really cares about Van Damme. Yeah. That's funny. I I love it when you hear little things like that just to to bring it to Although you have to mention the thing about Hitch not giving him enough direction. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, just do that now. Yeah, so he's he was upset that Hitchcock, he wasn't having enough interaction with him. He wasn't getting enough direction from him. It's, it's, and Hitchcock said, it's because I only talk to people. I only give people that kind of attention when things are going wrong. That's why I'm talking to Grant and even Murray Saint so much is because I, I need to, to tweak their performances and, and you know, you're doing everything right essentially. Yeah. Yes. And they're yeah. not. So that's why you're not receiving that kind of personal one-on-one with me. <laughs> but talking about characters playing those things, those, those little things that only they know, I was, uh, I know it's in the book and so we'll get to it, but I, I watch Glengarry Glen Ross more times than I think is healthy. <laughs> and I've talked about that before with other films like Taxi Driver. I, I think I watch Glengarry Glen Ross at least twice a year. Okay. And these last couple of times, do you think Al Pacino plays his character? Is, is Ricky Roma gay? Because I've started oh, to watch that film with that in mind going, Oh my God, this makes the way that he's conducting himself just in general. And the way that he lures Jonathan price in. I, I, here's what I would say. I, I haven't that, seen that movie in a good long while. Yeah. Um, I would say that I don't know. My something might be that he is just, maybe he's, it's an act for Jonathan price to, to get the sale. I don't know. No, that's I. I but that's anyway, just to give you some. It. That's how I've been watching Glenn Garrigan Ross. Yeah. Is in my mind is you. And there's another one that I've, one that fascinates me that I love in a movie that I hate. I think it's one of Spielberg's worst. Is Hook. Okay. Where uh, Hoskins and and as Shmee and and Dustin Hoffman as Hook wanted to play them as an actual old kind of married gay couple who were kind of just over it sexually and just <laughs> really bitter with each other. <laughs> And and Spielberg said, absolutely not. This is a family film. You cannot do that. And then they said, well, we're going to do it anyway. Yeah. And so if you look at like the sort of subtleties in their performance, it is the best part of the movie is when they're on screen together. And having that in mind, the last time I watched it, because I bought it about a year ago for Liz, because I know how much she adores it and yeah. how much a part of a child is. All right, I'll I hate this movie, but I'll <laughs> I'll do this with you. I'll sit down and I'll revisit it and watch it. I'm like, oh my God, this movie is now so much better. Nice. Nice. Anyway, Long ass tangent. That's please, fine. Please bring us back well, on track. We're gonna pull us back into talking about accolades. Um, again, uh, so it was nominated for a couple of Academy Awards. It was nominated for original screenplay and editing and production design, all of which it lost. Um, yeah, so it lost uh, the art and set design to Ben Hur and editing to Ben Hur, but it lost screenplay to uh, a Rock Hudson Doris Day picture, Pillow Talk, which I hadn't heard of before we started doing this research. I only heard of it, but I've I've never seen it. I know nothing about it. Yeah. Um, uh, he was nominated for a DGA. Yeah, it was in the National Board of Review's top ten. Hey, Ian, was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? 1995. Yes, it was. And damn right that it was. It um, also lost the, uh, the Writers Guild Award. But here's the funny thing. It was nominated as a comedy. Uh-huh. Which it lost to Some Like It Hot, which makes total sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. But this is another time. Because another film... The Quiet Man won the WGA for Best American Comedy, which is stupid. Yeah. 
But this film isn't actually... It's got funny moments in it. Sure. There's some great, great... I think this has... I'll just say it right now. I think this has the best dialogue in any Hitchcock film. My hot take is gone because you just said it. Oh, that's exactly what I was going to say. I don't say. think that's a hot take. I just well, think no, that's but, a fact. Well, no, as a, like, as a definitive statement to say that yeah. this is the best... I, I agree. I, yeah. I That scene between um, Roger and Eve on the train when they're first over dinner, it's like... You it could is cut that. Fire. You could oh, cut that tension with a knife. It's fantastic. And I think that's also part of the reason I'll get this out of the way as well. They call this the unofficial first James Bond film. So much of what it does, you can see in something, especially like from Russia with Love. Not only because of the whole thing with him being chased by a helicopter, i.e., Cary Grant being chased by the plane, but you also have the scenes on the train and the the tension between Bond and the love interest in that film, and the way that Cary Grant sort of presents himself he's very suave he's he's very cool under pressure he wears those beautiful beautiful suits yep which i mean uh, that suit speaks for itself the suit for me is the unsung hero of this film. <laughs> it's gorgeous it's so it's so great in fact that it was the inspiration for tom cruise's suit in collateral oh nice i didn't know that yeah. that's that's nice. that's brilliant i like that uh, you you mentioned yeah I definitely want to mention the the WGA Best American Comedy wherever the hell that is. But that's the thing is even if you had even if you would have nominated it in the dramatic, I looked up what it because I'm like this film doesn't shouldn't be in the comedic category. So what was nominated in the dramatic category? And you had uh, I only wrote down three of them, but you had Ben Hur, uh, the one that won, which was the Diary of Anne Frank, and then you also had Anatomy of a Murder, which get this out of the way right now. That's a Jimmy Stewart film. Jimmy Stewart really, really, really wanted to be in North by Northwest. Yes, he badly. did. Yep. Like he just he begged Hitchcock, and Hitchcock was like, "No." In the back of his mind, and this to me proves just how ruthless he was. We talked about some of his ruthlessness in our Strangers on the Train episode, and the way that he clashed with the the screenwriters on that. Yeah. It, it this further proves just how ruthless he was in his decision making and getting what he wanted, and and. You know, it's my way or the highway. Everybody else, you know, you're coming with me on this adventure. And if you're not, if you're with me, that's great. And if you're not too bad. But he he waited until Jimmy Stewart was very safely committed to Anatomy of the Murder. Then he offered it to him knowing that he couldn't take it. And then he got his way. That's a little fucked up, Hitch. You know what's funny? I I actually don't see it that way. I I think he didn't. And whether or not it was perceived this way in, like, you know, in the world of Hollywood, I'll I'll never know. But... I think he worked because obviously he worked with Cary Grant before. He worked with Jimmy Stewart a shitload. Yeah. And I actually think that Hitch didn't want to hurt his friend's feelings. Yeah. Oh, no. And I can see that side of it, too. And it, it's absolutely the right choice. It This is a Cary Grant picture. Yes. 100%. Yeah. But it's kind of some passive aggressive bullshit. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I just don't see it that way. No. I don't see it that way. Um, <laughs> I just, I'm a, I'm a Jimmy Stewart champion. I'm on his oh, side. Oh, dude, I, I love Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very conflicting sure. thing for me. I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, uh, on the, uh, the AFI top 100, it was, it used to be number 40. It is currently 55. Um, I'm okay with that. I like it. I'm glad it's on the list. No. Um, and on the IMDB 250, it currently sits at, I wonder if we have the same number, 76. It is 76. There we go. Um, did you have any uh, critical? Well, it's 99% fresh, just one oh. point short of perfect on Rotten Tomatoes. And... I haven't gotten there yet, but that's oh, fine. Okay. 94 on the audience. Yes. Yeah. They'd and yeah, stubborn over there. Rightly, rightly up there in the, uh, the well, A range. Well, I, I love Empire Magazine. I mean, I haven't subscribed to it in years, but when I lived in the UK, I mean, that was essential reading for me. And in 2009, where they did their list of the great movie moments, it was it was right at the top. 
uh, the scene of him being chased by the the biplane. Yeah, that's yeah. And that that shot of him running, the tracking shot where he, the plane is behind him and he's running towards camera. I mean, it's it's one of the most iconic things in film history. Yeah, I mean, it's right up there with you know. So with with God, the Godfather, with you know, I'll make him an offer he can't refuse, and you know anything else you can think of that's iconic, you've got to mention this so, that scene in the same breath. My question, I have a question for you. So there are there are a lot of iconic scenes in this movie. Um, I would say two of which are the everything with the biplane and everything on top of Mount Rushmore. What is what is your favorite shot in this movie that isn't one of those two? Because if you don't have one, I, I can jump in quickly. Because I, I definitely know that I, I have one. And it's such a, it's, I feel like it's an obscure shot. Well, no, you I, I do have a couple. You you go ahead and... and... This might sound as a, a weird one to say. But it's it's after everything that happens in the UN. And he's he's leaving. That top-down shot. That's on my list oh my of God, favorite shots. Oh, my God. Is it's, that not just gorgeous? It's perfect. It is a gorgeous shot. Yeah. It's so wonderfully framed as yeah. well. It's oh, just... It's... You could frame that. That is an image that you could frame, oh, just as much so as you could frame Cary Grant running from the the, yeah. the plane. Yeah. Uh, there's another. There's another one that I really like. That's kind of a, a throwaway, almost like the top down from the UN as well. It's yeah. it's the the train. It's the camera being on the outside of the train and then panning inside to the dining car. Yeah. I just I just it it felt. It seems so. It's a very. It's very seamless, and it's just. It feels like it is. It is a throwaway shot, but it is yeah. very masterful. It just looks great. There's another one that I highlighted. Uh, it's a high angle shot. It's a, it's a three shot of James Mason, Cary Grant, and Landau in the study where they're kind of grilling him. They you know they brought him yes. to the house. Yeah. And there's just something about the shot that the kind of looking down on them like you're peering into this room that you have no business being and we're almost a fly on the wall yeah. to this man's misfortune. Yeah. But yeah, uh, no, I'm I'm totally with you. I think we've already established our favorite. So that top down at the UN is it's just, good. it's perfect. It's good. Yeah, yeah. Um which is the the strength of the uh of uh how, I didn't write down is the it Burks? Yes. That cinematographer, I mean, yeah, frequent Hitch collaborator. I mean, he really found somebody. I have an unsung hero that I don't want to say yet, but it's. I don't think it's going to be who you think it is. Is it Bernard Herman? No. Is it the not. score? It's not. Because this, this score is goddamn good. Bernard Herman is just. God. I mean, what? What? I mean, Citizen Kane, Vertigo, Psycho, Taxi Driver, the original Cape Fear. I mean, the man has an impeccable filmography. Yeah. Um, we haven't even talked about the the movie yet, but I I, I guess I'll just say mine. So wait. Who is your unsung hero? This is so weird. We're doing this out of order, but I know we're, we're all over the spot. I I think it's uh, I I can't say that he's unsung. If you want to go for like the the obvious choice, like an actor, it's Martin Landau. Sure, yeah, I can get that. A- but as, wise, as yeah. far as the production goes, I I it's the script. Lehman. It's it's the yeah Lehman with his dialogue. His dialogue is so good. As we as we said that hot take there, whether it's a hot take or not, the dialogue it's, is the best fantastic. in any the best. In any Hitchcock, the only thing that comes close in my mind would be probably Rope. Oh yeah, it's really good too. Yeah. Although that is adapted from a play, and oh, not okay. that that changes how good the dialogue is, but yeah. it's I, I I I'm always a sucker for an original story. Yes, and I think that's why this this hops up higher on my yeah. on my list. I'm gonna go with Saul Bass. Oh, his titles. Thank you for saying that. The movie opens and you get a, and and like the the. 
the green background and the and the black comes on and you don't quite know what you're seeing yet but it's kind of in time with the music and the grid that forms the the outside of the the skyscraper oh, yeah man it's so I mean, he is the father uh, of modern title sequences. Yeah, yes, He's exactly. Inspiration again, another tie to Bond. The inspiration behind all the great title sequences in Bond definitely inspired by somebody like Saul Bass. And, and Saul Bass he, did a lot with with Hitchcock. He was a yeah, frequent collaborator. Absolutely, and he that. also later in his life collaborated a lot with Scorsese, Goodfellas, and that excellent, very, very excellent opening titles for That's Casino. Good. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's yeah. good too. Yeah. Um, Cool. We got some of that weird, not weird, but we got some of that other stuff out of the way early. So yeah. let's, I, I want to quickly go through the plot because um, I just want to gush about this movie pretty much. Yeah. Um. So Roger Thornhill is a, is an ad man back in the day. Uh, on Madison seems, Avenue. Seems very um, confident, wealthy, uh, high up in where he works. He is going to meet some, um, looks like potential like business. Yeah. Uh, at the Oak Room, the Oak Club. Well, he's got that wonderful scene at the beginning with his secretary oh, where he's great. having her take dictation as they, they jump in the cab together and he's still going and his, like, confliction. Oh, maybe she won't be able to get a hold of Mother because Mother's at the bridge club. Or yeah. <laughs> um, I also love how simple this movie starts. So basically... It's it's disarming. Yeah. So uh, he goes to ask somebody who works there if he could send a fax. And somebody happens to say the name Kaplan. Somebody happens to say Kaplan... As he's raising his hand, and then two one of, of those fan great, names, heavies. Yeah, um, great Hitchcock trope. Yeah. He's, he was obsessed with the idea of mistaken identity. And he goes, and then uh, Roger gets up to go do the facts because he has to go out and do it. And the two guys take him at gunpoint into the car, drive him out to this lovely house. The estate that they shot all that on was just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and we find out that they are mis- they have mistaken Roger Thornhill for this George Kaplan. Um, Van Damme thinks it's just a game. And, uh, no, of course, cause he, if he is who he, if they yeah. believe he is, he's yeah. got many identities. I love the line that he gives about, you know, or, wait, I think I'm, it's, it's too early for this, but is, is this where he says the actor studio line or is that later? I think that's later. Okay. I think that's at the auction. I think so too. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, anyways, oh, but God, um, the auction is so goddamn good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so he gets taken by mistake and uh, Van Damme wants no information and, and isn't getting it because Roger Thornhill has no idea what he's talking about. Uh, and so Van Damme leaves and the Martin Landau and crew basically get him shit-faced on bourbon. bourbon. They pour a whole bottle of bourbon down him. And they put him in a car. And from the from the bad guy point of view, I really like how they were going to do it. Get him hella drunk, put him in a car, and push him off a cliff. That's very clean. And... Uh, Roger doesn't sober up enough, but enough to handle the car so he doesn't go off the cliff. Although I do love him looking over. Yeah. Um, that's 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 just kind of a fun shot. He manages to uh, get away, uh, stops abruptly, so a cop car runs into him, and nobody believes him. He, he, he kind of goes, he's in front of the judge. He has the cops go to the estate where this woman is pretending to be Van Damme's wife and says no he's at the un which of course now gives less credibility to roger that he was at some un figure's house and got shit-faced and yeah stole a neighbor's car exactly um and so nobody believes him he goes back they go back to the oak room and uh because they think this kaplan might have a room there oh he oh, actually he overheard van damme saying it yeah that, that that's where that's where he was saying so um we find out that nobody's really seen kaplan and they, they just assume that roger 
is this George Kaplan because nobody's actually seen him. Well, because he's in, in their minds, the right place at the wrong time. But of course, we know he's in absolutely all the wrong places. He has yeah. no business doing there because all he's doing is further incriminating himself. And we, we find out, well, first thing we find out is that he definitely isn't George Kaplan because the suits that have been brought up are way too small for yeah. Cary Grant. Um, uh, well, his mother has the great line about, oh, that's a perfect fit or something like yeah, that. Like, yeah, she has a, I don't like her. No. I me mean, I, she, is the, she is the weak link. She's the weak link, and also I think just the the weakest written character. Yeah. I don't think there was a lot. I don't. I, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. I don't like, because she's just there to reinforce what we already know somewhat. You're crazy. Yeah. Um, but you know, Ro- and Roger could. I feel like at any point drop this, but now he's he's curious. He wants to know what's going yeah. on. So, um, but again, he's not he's not the smartest character in any Hitchcock film because all he really just keeps digging that hole deeper yes, and deeper. He does. Um, so he decides to go find Van Damme at the UN and talk to him, see what's going on. Uh, which, of course, they they had to shoot him going into the UN illegally because oh, they could not do it. Yeah, and you see the you see the uh, the actual guy doing a double take when he's like, "Is that is is that fucking Gary Crit?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's I love it. I love it. I love that even a big studio production like this has still some doing some illegal shots. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so when when Roger goes to see Van Damme. He comes out, and it is not the guy. It is not James Mason at all. It is some other guy. And at so, some point, you're going to have to do a James Mason for us because I, I know you can do one. Oh, I don't. Oh, man, I don't know. I don't mean to put you on the spot or anything like that, but I, you got it in you, man. I don't think I do. I think you do. Well, I, have, um, I believe we'll in see. you. I believe um, in you as an actor. Thank you. Um, And so somebody else comes out, and there's a bunch of confusion. We find out that this guy has been staying in the city, as he always does when he's in session, that it's only the gardener and his wife who should be out there at the estate when we know that there's been a shitload more people than that. And uh, it seems like it seems like things are about to go right until one of those heavies throws a knife in the guy's back. And I'm not going to lie. That's a perfect throw. And it – well, yes, that's very true. But it also t- – I it took me aback. I, I, I gave one of these – I was like, oh – I didn't. See I it keep coming. forgetting this is the first time you've seen it. Second time. Second time. Second time. I watched it again for this podcast. Okay. I watched it once on my well, own. One. That's right. I mean, but you saw recently. It. Yeah, twice in a month. I've seen yeah, this movie. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, what I, I meant first time when I meant that. Yes, yes. Yes. You know what I meant. Uh, and so now you know now. Now George Kaplan, Roger Thornhill, uh, is basically been so sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself because I just love this movie so goddamn much. When uh, the real Van Damme falls down, Roger takes the knife out, and it looks like that he was the one who stabbed him. And so now he's he's a fugitive. Now he has to run and hide well, because – At this point, as an audience member, you're like, man, can this guy's luck get any – like, why are you still in these places you should not be in? And so he goes to – is it Grand Central? Yeah. So he goes to Grand Central and is trying to get away, basically. And um, He's on his way to Chicago? Yes. Yes, because he, he's heard that that is where – The next place – that Kaplan has had a is supposed to be yes, and uh, uh, he he kind of you know through a lot of almost getting caught moments gets onto the train hides with a little help from uh, Eva Marie Saint uh, as Eve and um, she kind of covers for him and and uh, they they ultimately we get to the scene in the train car where they're having dinner together and a whole lot of sexual tension it right is there. phenomenal it's. It is phenomenal. You, you can't acting. help but just be charmed by her and oh, fall no, in no, love with her. It's great. Yeah. Oh, she's so she's so good, in it. and yeah. she's the one who uh, basically narrates the the Destination Hitchcock documentary that's, oh, that's on it. 
she only had great things to say about this. Well, movie. yeah. Well, I mean, Hitchcock gave her, let's be honest. I mean, she had done on the waterfront, which what a blessing that must've been, but Hitchcock sure. arguably gave her the best role of her life. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I know she got an Oscar nomination an Oscar win, excuse me, um, for on the waterfront. But I think this might be more iconic and more memorable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I mean, on the waterfront, that's I know overshadowed that's, by Brando. That's Brando, Carl Malden. Oh, Lee uh, J. Cobb yeah. and uh, Rod Steiger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's a, oh, it's a stack cast. It's it's yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a guy's movie essentially. Is. She is the uh, she is the the lady that kind of gets lost in the fray. I mean, it's, I'd forgotten that she won an Academy Award for it, but that's fantastic that yeah. she did. Like, she's got a lot of work to do in that film. That's true. That's true. More work to do, I think, than she has to do in this one. But this one, she just gets it to be cool and classy yeah. and just beautiful. Um, so they they and I didn't write any of this dialogue down. Uh, but I I I'll, I'll tell Ian right now and you too. So we we play clips from the movies before, and it, I picked a clip from this. Oh, you'd have this to. scene for the yeah, because it's just so good. Dubbing um, and everything, I tell you, because they talk about how you're not. She doesn't. She doesn't make love on an empty stomach. Well, they that's the only thing I think they had to change. Yeah, they it, they change it to I don't talk about yeah. love on an empty stomach. I think right. yeah, or discuss or some yes, other yeah. Variation. And uh, so, but she she continues to help him. Um and she lets him kind of hide out in her room. He's hide. She um has a she basically has taken a key to unlock the top bunk. Which is he's he's hiding in uh, when the cops come around looking for him. Uh, a lot of more great sexual attention dialogue, um, and ultimately he, he, with her help, sneaks off the train the next day in uh, a suit of somebody who works on the train. Oh, all the red caps, and all the stuff red like caps. That, yeah. Yep. Um, and they they basically. Oh, I skipped a plot point, which is that we find out at this moment that Eve is working with Van Damme. Because Van Damme and Leonard are on the train. That's right. And so as they get off, um, Roger is shaving and kind of getting himself to look a little more that I together. Love. I love the that he's hiding in, He's hiding in plain sight. Well, yeah, the mini razor oh, yeah. thing. Her, he's got her razor, yeah. and the guy kind of looks him up and down. Yeah. Like, uh, what? But the, the fact that he's hiding in plain sight with the, the shaving cream on his face, that's yeah. great. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's a great touch. Um, and we find out that Eve is basically setting up Roger to go meet Van Damme, which of course we know is we know we know now that doesn't happen. Um, but uh, you know, Roger says, "Are we ever going to see each other again?" And no, I don't know. And you know, you got to take this bus here and do all this, uh, which leads to, I mean, in a movie that's already chock full of great moments. I mean, one of the best moments in film history. in film history. And I don't think what gets talked enough about this scene, the whole like when he gets when he gets let off the train, or when he gets sorry, when he gets let off the bus. To him t- taking the car to, to get away, the silence in this scene is deafening. It's oh, oh, and it's it's man. I don't know if I think silence is the best way to build tension in a movie. And oh god, you just don't you, you know. Even if you know what's gonna happen, it's still like, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? And the guy comes out. It's like, what are you doing? Oh, wait for the train and oh train or wait for the bus and the bus comes and oh that, that wasn't it. Talking about great shots that aren't. The, you know him being chased by the plane. I love them on either side of the road. Yeah, kind of staring really each good. other yes, down. Like, yes. Wait, are you here for me? No, no, no. They kind of have that look. Like, I'm not here for you. Are you here for me? And we get that great little bit of dialogue. It's like, huh? That crop duster is dusting crops where there ain't no crops. It's like, huh? That's that's weird. And he gets yeah, but he's bus. a Madison Avenue man. What does he know about crop dusting? Ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah, he doesn't care. Um, 
And we talked – so something I want to bring up really quickly in this moment is we talked about in The Quiet Man the really bad editing of the the shooting on location and then the cross-cutting with the shooting, you know, with a, a screen behind them on a, on a set somewhere. It is edited and shot so well in this in this scene that you I I I have trouble trying to point out the moments where he's they're not on location. Yeah, I it's, it's it good. is done so well. Well, let's let's be honest. In a in a year where Ben Hur didn't come out, this would have taken editing. I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I and to be honest, Ben Hur gets its gets its Oscar. I think one for the 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 scene on the ship. You know, where they're doing the whole ramming speed, yes. that, that sequence, and of course, obviously the chariot race. That's why it got its I, Oscar. Yes, I, you, actually, I, you the the rowing scene is a great beat. I would have forgotten that, but yeah, the chariot scene is what is what won it. Everything. Oscar. Yeah. Well, <laughs> true. That's yeah. true. Yeah, I, I think we I think we can agree <laughs> with that one. Um. So yeah, so then we get the the crazy awesome moments of the biplane and all that. He gets he takes the truck after. Oh wait, the fucking plane. Crashes into a tanker truck. Of everything I knew about this scene, because it's a it's an iconic scene. I've never seen the movie, but I knew about this moment. I didn't know the train or the plane crashed into a big truck. I thought when when it engulfs and flamed, I was like, I was, I was like having a little little moment. Yeah, I was taken aback, not expecting that in no. a nineteen fifties Hitchcock film. Nope. Um. So he, our, our good friend Roger. He uh, gets gets in a truck and he drives into Chicago. He goes to the hotel that, again, Kaplan, I think, is associated with. Um, Kaplan checked out. Well, that's crazy because I'm – and now I think Roger's a little confused on who he is. Yeah. And uh, But who does he see in the lobby? Eve Kendall. And now he's a little – now he's a little perplexed. And he, uh, he goes up to a room. One but, might say the jig is up. The jig is up, my friend. And um, – Kind of, kind of corners her, but she's still playing it off really well. Um, she's got a gun in her purse. Oh, this plays into it's got so many of the great. I wouldn't necessarily call this a noir, but it has so many great noir tropes to it. It's got the femme fatale. It's oh, got, yeah. a, it's got a MacGuffin. Yes, it does. It's got a case of mistaken identity. It's yep. got a man on the run. And uh, and 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 it's great because they're both. Roger doesn't know who he's dealing with. An obvious reason he doesn't know, and I'll just say it now: he doesn't know that Eve is actually uh, an agent uh, for what agency. I don't actually quite know. Yeah, they, they just never really they, say. they dismiss when he talks. FBI, about FBI CIA, or we're all the same, or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, so he doesn't know. He doesn't know who he's dealing with. But Eve doesn't quite know how good Roger. I think is is starting to pick up how to handle things now. Like when he, I would take a shower, clearly he's he's not. He's just standing in the room. One of the um, best scenes in the film, I think, when he comes back and confronts her. I like that. Seconded only to the auction scene that's coming up. Yeah, very exactly which I was getting at. So, yeah, and he does the great, the great bit where he takes the pencil and rubs it on the pad that she had just written on, so he can find the address of the place that she's going to. And then we, we then we find Eve and. Uh, well, this is the big reveal, isn't it? There she is with yes, Van Damme, and yes. what's she doing Van with Dam Van Damme? Leonard, yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, so we find out that. Van Damme is trying to get a certain auction item. We don't quite know why, and this is part of this is part of the MacGuffin. Is it's got this microfilm of um, who knows what? Yeah, Se- government secrets that, of course, he's going to sell, you know, for whatever. But Van Damme and Eve leave, and uh, 
our, our heavies that are always not too far behind have basically trapped Roger in the room. And the way that he gets out of this auction is so great. Oh, yeah. First, he's just obnoxious as all hell, overbidding, underbidding, throwing out crazy ass bids. And then he punches. <laughs> I love it. He just starts punching people. Yeah. And like, thanks the police officers. Thank you for arrest. Thank you for getting me. Do you know who you have? Yeah. What took you so long? Yeah. Oh, it's so, it's so, oh, when, when the police are escorting him out, when he says, sorry, mate, to the guy yeah. who was trying, oh, it's so good. It's yeah. so witty and fun. That moment. You as he tells him something like, keep your chin up, you know? Yeah, exactly. You'll get it. <laughs> How caught he, he, it's, you, you watch Cary Grant develop a personality throughout this film. Totally. His strength as an actor, he starts as just this, you know, uh, full of shit sort of advertising man. And he actually becomes a complete three-dimensional character with this great sense of humor and this guy that just can't help. He gets to a point where he just can't help but laugh at his situation and be like, well, I'm in this thing, so now I have to embrace it. And so uh, uh, the police have him, but he ends up getting kind of rerouted to the airport where Leo G. Carroll, who's only known as the professor, which I think is great. You have one character in here who has no like name. He's just yeah. the professor. Um, we find out that Eve is actually an agent. And now we realize that Rogers kind of put her in, in danger by showing up and, and kind of wrecking the auction thing. Um, which leads to us finally getting to uh, South Dakota and Mount Rushmore. Now, maybe it's been a while since you've seen the movie, but the qu- question I have for you is when she shot him in the cafeteria, did you know that they were blanks the first time you watched it? Well, yeah, because there's still like half an hour of movie to go. <laughs> you know what, though? But I I even knew about the end of the movie, not just the stuff on Mount Rushmore, but him pulling her up. Oh, like you're so in the moment. But I, I clear, I, I, I thought maybe he, he actually was shot and that was part of like, he was just wounded or something. But I was with all the twists and turns we've taken and, and who knows how, how, how close um, Eve is trying to um, be still be, you know, uh, well, she's playing it close to the chest. Yes, exactly. I, I, I totally thought that he was shot and that, that was just how effective the storytelling was. And something I got to say too, that I'll, I'll just admit on the podcast when I'm watching a movie for this podcast and I'm taking notes, I don't enjoy it as much just because I'm, I'm so focused on things. And I, so that's why I was so happy that I, I just happened to watch this before we decided to do it. Cause when I watched it the second time, I definitely didn't enjoy it as much. Well, yeah, because now you've got to look at it with a different perspective. I, I think I, 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 I don't know. I guess first I just want to say, I was so glad that I watched this once before notes because I, I think I would have maybe lost some of it or, because I just got to sit back and enjoy it, yeah. and I was so well. Into and it, it does come to a point before you get to the Mount Rushmore finale where it does slow down, and even the studio kind of wanted them Hitch to cut that scene where they meet in the woods, which isn't out in the woods; it's a set where they put all those trees. Yes, they considered it an unnecessary expense, and it does kind of. At that point, the film does kind of slow down when, if you know what's coming, you just want to get to Mount Rushmore. Sure. Yeah. Um. So they do. So yeah. So we find out yes that he actually wasn't shot. They were blanks. Uh, uh, Eve and Roger get to meet in the woods. They have a nice little chat, and uh, she. But Roger thinks that she's going to be able to get out, and she's like, "Nope, I gotta go. I gotta go do my job." Uh, so they. So Roger goes to the hospital. He's basically under lock and key. Uh, although he does find a way to escape. Now we gotta talk about this one weird little scene in the movie that it's right before he goes to Mount Rushmore and it's when he's leaving the hospital 
He's kind of gone through a window. He goes into another room. And the woman wakes up. And she's like, hey. And he's like, no, shush, it's okay. And then she goes, hey. And his response is, ah. (laughs) And he leaves. (laughs) It is, I don't quite know what to make of this scene. But it made me laugh so it's, hard. It's good, and it, what a little throwaway! Just a, and this this film is it's a film that is full of little throwaway pieces that like you could argue they don't need to be in there. Oh my god! But it just you're so happy they are there. Yeah, it's such a fun little weird moment. Um, anyways, we get so uh, Roger drives out. He kind of canvases the house, which wasn't a real house. No, they actually built that based on the sort of what was popular at the time with exactly. Frank Lloyd Webber sort of stuff. Yes. Um. He's he's listening, and we find out this is where. Um, Excuse me, I said Frank Lloyd Webber. I right, Frank oh, Lloyd Wright, whatever. I think you were combining him with Andrew Lloyd Webber. I was, yeah, which is great. So, yeah, that could be a real person. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? It's Andrew Lloyd Webber's son. Um, yeah, he's he's great at architecture and he really musicals. Is. Yes, he loves cats. Um, yeah. so this is where Roger overhears Leonard uh, talking to Van Dam, and we find out that um, whether or not it's because he loves him or not, uh, Leonard. She goes to basically say that you can't trust her and Van Damme's getting a little pissed and Leonard shoots him with the gun. We find out that this blanks and now they're on to Eve. And so Roger's trying desperately to get her uh, attention. I love the matchbook. Yes. Oh, I yeah. love it. It's Which so they had good. set up on the train and the little dig about how it's ROT, his yes. initials, but the yeah. O is meaningless. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so then she comes up and, and he tells her, he, he is able to convey that information to her that they are, they're on to you. You know, they know that they're the blanks, so you, you can't get on the plan. There's, again, great, great tension building as she's walking down the um, the the driveway down to where the plane yeah, is. Yeah, because that's going to be the – they're going to push her out over the ocean. Yeah. So. Um, Roger gets held up momentarily by the, the maid who is holding him at gunpoint, which he ultimately figures out is the gun that has blanks in it. And then uh, he he cracks a joke about how long it took. Yeah, him, right? yeah. Which I again, was, further Russell reinf- was made for four and a half minutes before I realized that was the yeah yeah. Which further reinforces that he really isn't, you know, quick yeah. on his feet. He's not yeah. the smartest character to be in a Hitchcock film. And ultimately, we end up on the heads of four presidents on top of Mount Rushmore, and um, you know, eventually when uh, when Leonard falls because he's been shot. That doesn't look so great. I mean, I, re- yeah. you know, and I, I forgive it because of the of the time. It's 1959, man. Yeah, um, I'm sure at the time it looked amazing. Oh, sure, I'm sure it did too. Now, as a fan of hard cuts, what is your feeling on the cut from them being on Mount Rushmore to back on the train? Well, Hitchcock himself said it was quite cheeky. Like he he knows the the movie probably should have ended on Mount Rushmore, but the way he pulls her up. And they're both sit back on the bed, and then the train goes I've into the tunnel. I've got you, Mrs. Thornhill. Yeah. Yeah. And then the train just goes into the tunnel, which is very clearly a reference to, oh, yeah, they're going to... They're going to bone. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Hitchcock knew exactly what he was doing. Oh, yes. And so yeah. knowing that it wasn't just, oh, we've got to give this thing a happy ending, the fact that he's like, this movie has been so tongue-in-cheek all the way through, just to have one more little, you know, dig at censorship or yeah. dig at good taste, rather. Man, I you know what? I didn't think we'd actually kind of go through the whole movie, but we did. We did there. Um, I I love this movie. Yeah, it's fantastic. We've talked about shots. We've talked about unsung heroes. Is there? I mean, is there anything else that you that you want to say about it? Well, do you want to talk a little bit about the origin of it? 
Sure. I mean, because Hitch had had this in his mind for, it sounded like, a good 10 years. Wanted to do something that involved yes. Mount Rushmore yes. being chased by a plane. He had all the there were set pieces, pieces, but yes, he didn't exactly. have the connective tissue. Yeah. And, of course, the... Uh, there's the great thing. I mean, obviously, I I think it would have undercut the movie, and I'm, I think it's a good choice not to do it, is have the... When they're in Mount Rushmore, and they're hiding inside Lincoln's nose, yeah. and he sneezes, and that's what gives them away. And I think the working title of the film was uh, The Man in Lincoln's Nose, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, but even even the title as it stands, I mean, Hitchcock, he knew how cheeky he was being with this whole film because North by Northwest is not an actual point on the compass. Yes. And so the whole thing, it plays into the fantasy. Like every man wants to be this suave and cool. They talk about that with Bond. Every man wants to be that suave and that cool under yeah. pressure. And, and and this North by Northwest is is the every man being thrown into that position. Right, it's exactly. Not, we're not, not seeing a... Bond always on his on his a game we're yeah. seeing somebody kind of learn the rules as he's as yeah he's going he kind of like falls from one you know sort of minimal success to the other yeah yeah and uh, well and i also read in the make one of the other set pieces that hitch has in mind is that it wasn't going to be a plane that chases him it was going to be a tornado and of course the screenwriter using logic goes well how do the bad guys conjure an act of god and how would you and how would you even how would you even have shot that back in the day so uh, this is so around this time is when uh, uh, television was becoming really, really popular and, and shows were happening. And so this, that's, that's where like Panavision and VistaVision and all that came on. And, and they didn't want Hitchcock to shoot on VistaVision on the on the on the uber widescreen. But yeah, he, this was only one of two films that MGM made. Well, it's the only one. It's the only film that Hitchcock made for MGM. Yes. And then two, it's the only film that they made on VistaVision. The other one being High Society. Yes. Yes, that's okay. correct. Um and and so this this whole idea that that's this was a this was a direct uh, response to television was you know making films that were unique to cinemas yeah. you had to see them in cinemas yes. in this ultra kind of widescreen and lush um, technicolor and, and all, all its glory and it made me think about what's going on now which is Netflix versus going to the movies right and yeah. um, and I just I just I just I just had this kind of fascination of of you know. Spielberg. Well, I love how they came out and said that that was total bullshit. That was like a reporter running with something that they misheard and made this whole hoopla out of it. Spielberg never said that, well, and never intended to go to the Academy with that argument. Sure, but just but but it's a, but it was a real thing. Like, were voters not voting for Roma, whether they wanted to or not? Was how much was it that it was a Netflix movie? How much did that base their opinions? You yeah. know, and, and that, that is the that is the problem facing us right now in the in the world of entertainment is just because it's on a streaming service does it is it less of a film? Sure, exactly, yeah, and 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 I, and, and that's not the bit that we're getting into, but I just I thought I I like not like, but I think it's interesting knowing that there's always going to be some kind of a thing, you know, yeah. whether it's whether it's movies trying to tone down Netflix because it's so much easier to see things on Netflix or is it a company coming up with a new way to shoot a movie VistaVision Panavision whatever uh, because people are staying home to watch TV I just yeah. I, that was a comparison I, I, I well it shows how far we haven't time. come yeah exactly yeah. Well, that's true we're, we're still having those because you have somebody like Nolan who does make event films films that you argue should be seen on the, on the big screen yeah and you know you turn around and what do those films now look like on your little home however big your TV is 42 52 however big inches yeah right yeah um so I, are we there are we at our, our top fives uh well I I hit pretty much every point that I wanted to I mean you did a really good job 
taking us beat by beat. I didn't intend to, but, but it just kind of happened. It worked. Um, and we, yeah, we talked about it. And why wouldn't you? I mean, why wouldn't you want to gush over every glorious moment in I this know. film? I know. It really is. It really is a good movie. <laughs> so you're probably not going to like my five. That's okay. No, I, that's okay. So here's, uh, here's what I want to do. I want to go backwards from five. And, and do your five and my five and just work up the ladder? Yeah. So here, but here's, so if, so we'll both say our fives. And if I, so if you, if my five is higher on your list, we'll wait to talk about it. Yeah, because you don't want to interrupt the rhythm. Of, yeah. yeah. Okay. So what is your five? My number five, and I went back and forth because I know I appreciate Hitchcock's love of The Wrong Man. He actually made a film called The Wrong Man yes, with, he did. with Henry Fonda. which It's a great film. It's a great little I haven't seen noir it, piece. I really like it a lot. Yeah. It, was, it was just edged out by Foreign Correspondent. Okay. My five is Psycho. Okay. I do not have Foreign Correspondent on mine. Do you have Psycho on yours? I do. Okay, so talk a little bit about Foreign Correspondent. Uh, you, so you've not seen Foreign I've Correspondent. I've not seen it. It's in that box set that I was talking to you about earlier. The, the, oh, great. Yeah, okay. so it's uh, some of his early stuff. Yes. Lady Vanishes, 39 Steps. I forget what the fourth film is, but Foreign Correspondent is there. For, for me, Foreign Correspondent is at the time, it was the most important film that he had made, his most vital. So it's about, uh, it was made in 1940. So it's a year after the war. You, America wasn't in the war yet. Mm-hmm. And this is what that film is really about. It's a U.S. reporter that's in London, and he's trying to expose agents that are there sowing the seeds of disinformation and sort of like... It's it's on the eve of World War Two. So this is set in like 38, 39. Okay. Um, and it ends with something of a condemnation of the U.S.'s neutrality in the war because there's this whole sequence where they're out on a raft and they get rescued and somebody sacrifices themselves so that the rest can be saved and they get picked up by um, uh, a U.S. ship and they won't allow them to use their radio because of the, because they'll be transmitting what it is they have to transmit and the U.S. are neutral at this point. Mm-hmm. And so the film is really like a call to action. It's, it's, <laughs> it's Europe essentially going, where the hell are you guys? We need you. Right? Sure. I, I, it's, it's a very important, vital film. Nice. That, that he, I, it's, it's really good. I, I like it a lot. And, and it's big. I mean, it, it's it's got a lot of it's it's big for the time. So so one thing that we usually do, and we didn't do it for this one, um, be, probably because we've we've already talked about the, all the other films that are in the book that are uh, Hitchcock's um, foreign correspondent out in the book. No, yeah, I know it's disappointing. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's your number four? Uh, my number four is, and man, I I went back and forth. I soul searched a lot over this one, but my number four is North by Northwest. Okay. My number four is Rope. Is Rope rope higher for you? Rope is on my list. Okay. North by Northwest is higher on mine. Okay. So what is your number three? The Psycho. Okay. And my number three is North by Northwest. Okay. So we won't talk about North by Northwest because we just did. We just did. So Psycho. Psycho. Yeah. Um, So Psycho was was probably four before uh, North by Northwest uh, creeped along. Um, uh, Psycho... It's great. No, I mean we're gonna do a whole episode on it. Oh yeah, we will. Um, the I guess the one thing I'll say about it is, I didn't. I thought again, and as as a as a young young movie watcher of probably like eleven or twelve, when I when I first happened to stumble upon like From Dusk Till Dawn, even then I liked that that movie changes midway through, becomes a different movie. Yeah, and and Rope does the same thing. I was not expecting. I was thinking about Psycho. 
Did you say rope? I did say rope. I meant okay. to say psycho. So, yeah, okay. so you said rope earlier. Yes. So anyway, yes. No, psycho does the same and thing. I, and I, I wasn't expecting that shower scene to come as early as it does. Exactly. Yeah, we, exactly. Because when you know about such an iconic shot and then you see the movie and it's like, there was a lot left. Yeah, Remember the yeah. first time I watched it, I was like, what the hell are you going to do now? Yeah. And, and it's still riveting, but yeah. yeah. There's like a whole another hour of movie. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so. Here we go. This is why rope is in my mind because rope is my number two. Rope is my number two. Ooh. Yeah. Um. Oh, wait. I thought you just said your... Oh, rope, sorry, rope, yes, sorry, just kidding. So, rope is your two. Rope is, yes. Rear window is my two. Okay. Is that higher? Rear window is my number one. Okay. I hate you already, by the way. Um, okay, so what are we talking about first? Rope? Rope. Well, I mean, we're going to do, again, we'll know, do episodes but, on but both rope is your rope is your two. Yes. Yeah, okay, so yeah, rope it, is... It was my number one until I saw rear window a couple oh, of years ago. okay, all right. Yeah. Um, rope... For if you don't know, I mean, you probably most people probably know the big Hitchcock movies, even the ones that aren't that good, like The Birds, um, yeah. which is only okay. Yeah, um, it's not great. Rope is so good. Rope is so great. Yeah, and you just open on a strangulation. Uh, the body is basically hidden in plain sight, yeah. and to, well, and it's based on a real constant. story. And yeah. you said it's based on a, a, play, a play that's based yeah. on that real story. I mean, and the fact that they you can see where the cuts are. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's pretty obvious the way they have people walk in front of frame but and then that's the, the end of the mag. But part yeah, exactly, exactly. It's there are cuts because they they had to literally reload film. Yeah. It's not because they could like you know Hitchcock could have shot this fucking thing in one And take. it would have been amazing. It would have. And I'm I It would have set the bar. I wish the technology would have been oh, there I for know. that cuz it just it was so good. Yeah. It was so good. Um Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you could edit it to edit those those wipes out oh sure but it, it it's good it's good yeah. anyway um but it's a testament to his ambition yes oh absolutely yeah. so your your number one is rear window yeah so which means that my number one it's isn't vertigo. even on your list it's vertigo it is vertigo but here's the problem i have not seen vertigo all the way through i have seen a huge chunk of it but i have not seen the whole thing end to end so i don't count that as having seen okay it. that's that's fair that's fair and I I've been I, I own Vertigo, but I've been saving it because I know it's in the book and I know it's an episode that we're going to get to probably sooner rather than later. With how, well, with how much Hitchcock is in the book, yeah. that's, probably, that's probably a good point. Well, and Vertigo is, oh, we already, wait, Vertigo's the 58, right? Yeah, so we, uh, we just, that's, okay. uh, that's we, fine, we, we we'll, we'll I'm not going to wait nine years no, to come around no, to its not. anniversary. No, um, so I guess, okay, all I'll say about Vertigo is... It's influenced everybody. It, it's it's it, the storytelling. It's again. It's another thing. It's another movie that kind of changes halfway through. Becomes a different kind of movie, yeah. and so many of those young filmmakers that came out of that great wave of movie making in the seventies, Coppola, Lucas. There, I mean, it's called Spade a Spade. There would be no Brian De Palma if there was no Vertigo. That's a good point. That, that's all there is to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and there's just something about the style. It, it's it's a Hitchcock film, but it almost. It's like Hitchcock Plus. It's it's just yeah. got a, a slightly different vibe to it. Yeah. And I, I love the story. You, we were talking a while ago about um, Maureen O'Hara becoming one of your um, golden age. Oh, my, my golden Kim age Novak. of cinema love. love Kim Novak is mine. No. She is gorgeous in this no. movie. Oh, my God. And it's, it's just so good. I just love everybody in this movie. It's And it's a thinker, too. It's like... Hitchcock's movies are thrillers, but this one is deep. Like yeah. I, I just yeah. No, I, I really would. I really want to go back and rewatch it, and I may do what you. I may watch it just to watch it before I sit down to watch it and analyze it for an episode. Yeah. But number two for me was Rear Window. 
Yeah. Which is your one. So I don't sound like I don't like it. So let's it. go down because we've jumped around a little. We'll go down the list again. Yes. So for me, number five, Foreign Correspondent, North by Northwest, Psycho, Rope, and then Rear Window. For me, it goes Psycho, Rope, North by Northwest, Rear Window, Vertigo. Yeah. And I, no, I did. I grappled with the three and four Psycho versus North by Northwest. Yeah. And who knows? That'll probably, that may change. When, ver, when I see Vertigo, that'll probably throw the whole thing into disarray anyway. It might. Yeah, because yeah, I'm anticipating it. It will do. Yeah, I think it'll. I, mean, I think I think for foreign correspondent will be edged out, and then how, and how your five. Yeah, which would be great actually, because then we would we would legit have the same five movies. Yeah, just in a different order. Yeah, that's nice. so we'll, we'll revisit that. we'll revisit the top five. Yeah, when after it comes Vertigo. To Vertigo. Nice, yeah. I like that totally. I just I really want to do Vertigo now. Well, and and. <laughs> I've seen a lot of Hitchcock movies, but not well, all. You've of got them, that. But, you've got that beautiful velvet yes. box set. I do. I do. But but not all of them are, are what's in the book. Yeah. So it'll be fun to kind of re kind of rethink of top top five as we go through Hitchcock because he's in there so many times. So no. Eighteen. Eighteen. Is that the count? I think so. Or maybe seventeen. Anyway, a lot. There there are some people that haven't even made that. Kubrick didn't even make that number of That's films. True. Right. That's true. But I think as we discovered with Strangers on a Train. Not all of his movies need to be in the book. Yeah. Um, so anyways, hey, those were our thoughts on um, not just North by Northwest, but some of Hitchcock's best films. And we would love to hear not just what you think about North by Northwest, but Hitchcock in general and his movies. So Yeah, please. give us your top five. Yeah. Oh, we kind of, I would seriously love to know what people think, what their top five Hitchcock movies are. Then there are a lot to choose from. And uh, let us know on, on Facebook and on Twitter what your favorite Hitchcock films are or what you think about North by Northwest. You can listen to us on iTunes and, and Google Play and Spotify. And this was a great episode to do. This was number 30. It was a fun one to do. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited about the next batch that we got coming out too. Yeah. Uh, so... We're we've got, a, we've got another rolling. another big anniversary coming up. Another big anniversary coming up. Yep. That'll be a good one to do. Yeah, a 20th, 20th year anniversary, so that gives you the clue. It's yes. from 1999. 1999, yep. So. That'll be a good one. Yeah. Okay. I'm very excited to revisit it. Me too. Me too. It's been, it's been a long time. Yeah, it has. Yeah. It has for me as well. Um, hey, but enough vagueness. Uh, until next time, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week.